Okay, great. Brisbane is getting more congested. <laughs> Have you noticed? Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16. Great truth presented uh, in the songs this morning. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, we're praying for pastor. We, we miss him. He's being used in America. God is using him there. And uh, he's been a blessing to, uh, uh, to some through the week and uh, is scheduled to preach again tomorrow. So uh, pray for Pastor, uh, pray for Danny, uh, he's there as well. And this is a really short turnaround for Pastor, so he'll be back, uh, Lord willing, uh, early into next week. So let's uphold him and uh, pray and ask God to continue to use our Pastor and also to strengthen him and just encourage him because... Sometimes as you're being uh, hopefully used to be a blessing to others, you, you gain some things yourself. So, so pastor asked me what I, what I preach today and that's why I'm here. All right, Luke chapter 16, you did that uh, reading already and I would guess a large number here would be familiar with the passage that we read uh, because it is one of the key passages that talks to us uh, about the reality that hell is a real place. A lot of people cast off the, uh, the, the notion or the truth that hell is a real place simply because they just find it unpalatable. And so in an inability, and I'll address this somewhat tonight, Lord willing, about another matter, but uh, their inability to uh, be able to reconcile some things, which is really based on their lack of understanding or their lack of information, uh, principally maybe about the holiness of God and some other things, but in their inability to, to, to be able to process that, they just say, oh, well, no, no, that's not there. Um, it, just, it just doesn't exist. Uh, the, the former Pope, uh, who I guess is now the retired Pope, uh, in the background, uh, he, uh, he said recently, it made world news, he made some comment about hell. They said, oh, he's contradicting the present Pope. Uh, but uh, he said, well, hell is not so much a place. It's really just the state of existence outside the love of God. You know, waffle, waffle, waffle. But, uh, but the Bible actually tells us that, that, that that's not so. Hell is a place. Um, it, it, it exists but my message this morning is not on hell. And so, so I'm sure when we read that, that's what probably everybody was thinking. And, uh, and I think it should be taught, but I don't want to uh, focus on that uh, particularly uh, this morning. I want to focus on something else that is in the passage that I think is frequently overlooked. Now, depending how you look at the Word of God, uh, truthfully, really what it means to you uh, in many ways affects what you see or what you don't see. So some people approach the Word of God, uh, even, I think, believing, but, but kind of like that things are stories. And uh, so, you know, you read a, a story and you read the next story, but, but if you approach the Word of God, that actually what you have uh, is you have uh, absolute truth about all things and contemplate that. If the Word of God is actually absolute, complete, final truth about all things it speaks of, then that becomes very profound because it means everything that God says about anything in the Word of God overrides anything anybody else says. And, and what happens, I fear is that we are much more influenced by what's around us, uh, by our cultural norms, and, and I don't think we understand the extent to which we are influenced by that which is around us. So even the way we look at life, even when we think, you know, where is happiness or, uh, what, you know, what is love and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, how should I feel about this thing in my life or what should I do... Many times, unfortunately, the culture 
and the prevailing perspectives of the culture very much influence us. And I don't think we often, uh, I don't think we always realise that sometimes our thinking is, uh, is really sort of different to what God has said. And so that's a work in progress for all of us as we read the Word of God and as we get under the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God, hopefully that's, that begins to transform our thinking and, uh, and, and to deliver us to a new place that is the God place versus uh, our place or the, the normal place of our culture. Do you understand that statement? It's letting God uh, enlighten us. Uh, a, a lot of Christians, for example, would believe this. Uh, they would have this idea that the Bible is this ancient book that was written in a time when there was a lack of information. And so the Bible is limited to, to sort of uh, some religious truths, uh, but the Bible didn't know what we know today. And so in our day today, with so many discoveries and so much more understanding about psychology and the human mind and and, uh, and uh, what exists in nature. Uh, you know, we are in an enlightened age, and the Bible perhaps has a place, but really uh, most of what we need uh, we will find by the messiahs of science and, uh, and those around us. And I, I just want to say that we need to recognise that that is, that is a counter-God view. That, that is wholly incorrect. Uh, God, God knew more than the greatest will ever know, and he knew it a long time ago. And so there's a lot of things that if you would reapproach the Bible with a sense of that this is absolute truth, uh, then it probably would cause you to reflect on it. I think I may have mentioned this, but I was talking to Dr. Gibbs here when he was here recently. We were just chatting, and I was telling him about a book I found, which is just a collection of studies of various entrepreneurs and people at the cutting edge of science or highly recognised in their field, not saved people, but, but just a whole collection of their findings and, and like someone looking at their life and saying, okay, what's the best things you could learn from this person in three pages and, uh, and, and uh, put it together. And it's, it's a good read and, and it's interesting and he asked me to get him a copy, but, but one of the studies there, they were looking at uh, now, this is an unsaved man working for the, the, uh, the Pentagon in America, the US Defence Forces, uh, trying to develop uh, cutting-edge soldiers who will be, you know, more physically uh, stronger on the battlefield than others. And so they were doing this study and they were looking at fasting. And so, so this scientist is very well paid for what he does and, and there's no acknowledgement of God as far as I can tell in his view. But he said, we have discovered something that there, there is an extraordinary uh, benefit in fasting. And, uh, and we've gone to look at this and, uh, and uh, we have found uh, that if you will... Now, I'm just telling you what he said. We, you, we have found that if you will fast uh, at least three days a month, what we believe is it purges from the body pre-cancer cells. Uh, and uh, he said, and, and if you're undertaking chemotherapy, he said, if you already have cancer and if you're strong enough, uh, we have found that if you can fast several days before your chemo, it increases the benefits by 50%. Now, now, whatever you think about that, when I read that, I just thought, you know, a long time ago, God, God knew some things about us what was good for us. And God, God knew things that just, just now, and I don't think we give God the credit for being understanding about our whole, our whole being in every area of life, that he really does know what's best for us. I'm afraid that, that, that we can't help sometimes to read the Bible and maybe dismiss things as belonging to a view of the ancients and not necessarily the actual word of God. And uh, the truth of God. All truth is found in God. Jesus said, I am the truth. And you can put full stop there. And so he's absolute truth. And, and uh, the, 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 the way that you find purpose in life 
the way that you even find who you are is, is not by breaking free of your parents and embracing the big world out there and, uh, and letting the people around you tell you who you are. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's the way you find who you are and, and what you're meant to be and where you come from and where you're going and, and, and where love is found and, and where do you find comfort. And the answer to those things is found in the Word of God. And so by you understanding that, you know, you should search this book like a scientist would study a textbook of someone's lifelong findings and go through it and search out those profound gems that could change his understanding of science. That's what the Word of God is. Well, something is said here in the Word of God, and I think principally, well, I, I, the, the, I think the main thought of the reading in Luke chapter 16 has to do with the reality that there is a hell the song reminded us, the last song today, reminded us that Jesus took upon himself our sin and uh, he, he died on the cross. The blood of Jesus appeased the wrath of God. So the blood of Jesus was more about what that did for God than, than us. You understand that? It was, it was when God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. So it was God who demanded that. And so the blood of Jesus appeased the wrath of God. And, uh, and that, that, was, that, that answered that for us. And then I believe Jesus took our sin. And in his death, I, I think our sin has been deposited, as the song said, far away from us. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And so uh, there's a lot of things here. Hell is a, hell, uh, is a reality. Um, you know, not believing in something has never been the deciding factor in whether it's there or not. Uh, and so uh, what I wanted you to see here is something beyond just the, the, the great teaching on the reality that, that there is a hell. And may I say with God, God, God never does what the world does to you. You know, I find that as I, this 24-hour news cycle and, and, and if, you, if you have any, you know, social media or whatever you do, if you have, probably, probably you drown in it, but, but uh, you're just being bombarded with news all the time. But have you noticed that most of the news you get bombarded with is just, it's sort of disturbing to your spirit? You keep getting told things that you probably wouldn't have ordinarily known and it doesn't seem to help you to know those things. You know what I'm saying? Because you're in the awful place where you realise, I can't do anything about this. There's really nothing I can do about this, but even just knowing this has disturbed my spirit. So now I have the double whammy. I now know something I probably didn't need to know, and it's really disturbed me, and there's nothing I can do about it. And, and, and you just keep taking that in over and over again. You get an accumulation of bad news that just doesn't offer you anywhere to go. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God never does that. So even when God tells you something that frankly is disturbing and it's, it's, you know, it's fearful, uh, uh, this, this notion that there would be a real hell with eternal torment, God doesn't just leave you hanging at that part. He does say, but you don't have to go there. See, that's, God always balances it. Even when God has to say a hard thing, uh, or uh, God will say, but there's this thing. And he'll always give you an answer about what to do. He'll always provide you with a way that you know which way to go. And so this is about hell, but much more. My focus, what I want you to see, is I want to focus on the fact that Abraham is doing a lot of talking here. Now, that would not be unusual except for the fact he was dead. All right? And I, and I want you to see that what you have here is not anywhere else. So out of all the people, all the great people who knew God and walked with God, found God in their life and walked with God, and all the people who had you know, incredible knowledge of God, God, God does not tell us uh, things that they are talking about. God does not tell us what they're doing right now. Uh, and there's a reason for that. The reason is this, 
that God has decreed, the sovereign has decreed, that those who will come to him will come by faith or no other way. And so, so, so God chooses to, to demand of us that those that will come to him will not come by sight. Now, it isn't that sight does not exist. Are you hearing me? It's, 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 it's not just like that you just, uh, you just have to believe in a heaven and a hell, but they're not really there. No, no, they're there. They're there. And, and, if, and if you were there, you would see them with your eyes, we say, by sight. So by sight is, is definitely there. But I'm saying it, it is the way of God that God says, this is the way it will be determined by the sons of Adam who will find their way to me. They must come to me by the road of faith. And in the end, by the time everybody gets to see, you can't make those decisions of faith. So the moment you leave this life to sight, sight, what do you mean sight? You're seeing hell. Uh, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing everything that God said. At that point, you, you cannot return to the place of faith. Do you understand that? So, so he's decreed that if you're going to come, you have to come by faith. So everyone who ever got there, and there's a whole lot of them there, uh, from all sorts of places, they all got there the same way. It's a bit like you know, the reading Pilgrim's Progress. You're meeting people on the road who also are on the road to faith, and, and a whole lot of them have found their way there already. And when we get there, it'll be like, hey, I'm, I'm here too. And uh, it'll be, you know, we all got here the same way. We, we all had to live by faith. We all came to this place, this beautiful city of God. We all came here not seeing it, but believing it was here. And, uh, and by faith, you come to Christ. But you, he doesn't permit you to come by sight and yet everybody will have sight. So everybody, even those who are at the great white throne judgment for their sin, being judged out of the books, firstly the book of life, and then the book that lists the works of that they did, at that moment, that will be a moment of sight for all those people. They will see the throne of God. They will, they will see the others around them. We're told that there'll be all kinds of people will be there. And sight will be wholly present, and sight is absolutely present the moment you leave here. But it is the decree of God. If you will, if you will come to him, you must come by faith. You have to believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That, that if you go to him, he, he, will, he will come to you. But faith is the way. So I'm just want to re-say that again. We need to understand that the only way anyone ever gets anywhere as far as the Lord is concerned is you've got to come by faith. And if you're here today, you came by faith. And, uh, and so we are here. So, so, so uh, we, we have insight now to somebody who's died uh, but, but is still here. And uh, there is no other person in the Bible that you are given so much content about after death than Abraham. Now, now you get, you get, follow me, you, you, get, you, get, you get to know that some people are still around and we would have believed that anyway. For example, <clears throat> Peter and James and John, they could tell you we saw Moses and Elijah on the top of a mountain talking to Jesus. We saw it. And, uh, and, 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 and that was true. They did. So we, could, we, could, we can glean from that a few things, you know. Uh, well, okay. Moses, the head of the law. Elijah, the head of the prophets. Jesus fulfilled all of the law of the prophets. And uh, they, were, they were there sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, talking. But what they were talking about, we don't know. There's no record of that. God said, I'm not telling you that. I'm not going to tell you about the things that they were saying. But there's one person in the Bible, and this is 
profound because it's wholly true. There's one person in the Bible who long after they died, um, we are, we are, God said, I'll, just, I'll show you. I'll show you something. And God peels it back. And what do we see? We go, oh, it's Abraham. And, 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 and not only just like, oh, well, there was Moses and Elijah, we can hear what he's saying. So now we're getting to hear what someone is saying who's already died and left here and is somewhere else and we're getting to hear the things that they're talking about which is really interesting because we don't know what other people are talking about on that side. You see what I'm saying? And I think sometimes we, we read over this in Luke chapter 16 because our, 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 our mind is caught on the notion of hell and the truth that Jesus was trying to teach but we don't always see this. So, so, so more is revealed here uh, with Abraham after death and his conversations, and he's talking to other people. And, and God said, I'll just let you hear that. I'll, I'll, I'll let you see something that you'll only see here, but I'll let you hear that and, uh, and uh, learn what you will. And so it's peeled back. Now, it's, it's, it's further, I think, interesting that out of all the major theistic religions, so Judaism, uh, Christianity, Islam, Abraham is esteemed by all three. So, so it's interesting that the one doing the talking here is somebody that all of those major religious groups would consider to be a person of authority and a significant figure in their own religious connections. And so, so that's what we're going to see. And it isn't just in Luke 16. Because also in John 8, Jesus said another thing. And it's all, it's all coming back to this uh, about Abraham again. So keep Luke 16. I'll read the one verse in John chapter 8. And then we'll just go through and say, okay, here's what we hear him saying. And we'll, we'll get what we can from that. So verse number 56 of John chapter 8, uh, Jesus said this, uh, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Well, well that, says, that says a great deal about who Jesus is, and he went on to say, uh, they said, well, you know, how, how, how would that be so, seeing as though that you're not even 50, uh, and yet you talk of Abraham seeing you and your day. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew in that statement that he was making himself equal with God because he was. And they were going to take up stones and stone him. Okay, so it says it's, it's, a, it's mostly about Christ. It's another affirmation about, about Jesus saying, this was all, all pointing to me. It was all pointing to me. Uh, but can we just, in, in, in connecting this with our Luke 16, can we say, well, there's Abraham again. Here he is again. Remember, this man is dead. We are not reading something back in Genesis where he was alive and we would be preaching on Abraham did this, Abraham went there, Abraham had faith in this. He's dead, he's gone, but he's not. He's not. And he's not only just not not gone, uh, we're going to see, and this is my first point, he's very much alive and aware even after his death. And he, he, is, he, is, he, is, he is consciously uh, fully aware of things and, and, and able to process what's happening and able to talk. What I'm saying is it's kind of like he's dead but he's not dead. It's sort of like he's dead, but he's not dead. All right? And it's not sort of, that's the truth. Right, right there hangs a great truth for all of us. When we were birthed, and this is why, why abortion remains a, a heinous sin, no matter how the world puts it. Uh, when we were born, eternity was birthed into us. And so, so when we were shaped in the womb, and, 
And I don't know when it happens, all right? Some people say at conception, and I don't, I don't know, but I know it happens somewhere. But eternity was birthed into us, which meant a part of us must live on forever somewhere. There is no annihilation. Now, annihilation has never been more subscribed to than in our day. Uh, it's more believed in our day than, than it's ever been in Australia's history. So most people believe today, when you're dead, you're dead. And, and, and it's expressed in the things they say. They say it comes out in forums, in chats, in conversations, comes out in what they say. So they say things like, uh, and if you ever caught yourself saying this, you really shouldn't say it, it comes out in statements like this, well, you only have one life. So, you know, better make the most of it. Well, that's, that's somewhat true. It would be more accurate to say you only have one earth life. And even that, as Josh said the other night, is, is you know, there's more to that. But, but it would be more accurate to say that. Well, you only have one earth life. It's not that you only have one life. When you're done, you're not done. Okay. Now, they find comfort in the fact, and it fits their philosophical perspective, which is essentially, I'm here to live for myself. I'm here to do whatever makes me happy because you only have one life. Or someone will say, oh, you're living the life. And the idea is that you found a utopia that is deeply gratifying to you and you're living the life. Uh, and what they're saying is that we, we believe that when you're done here, you're done, that's it. See, that's a lie. That's not true. And, and no matter how many people believe it, it'll still be a lie. It doesn't matter. And if, and if we become part of an ever-dwindling minority that says, I don't believe that, uh, what they say will still not be true. Okay, there is no annihilation. I heard a guy say at the optometrist the other day, laughing about squandering his kid's inheritance. Well, I guess it was his money, but it was destined to be the inheritance. Laughing about burning up the inheritance. And by the way, I've noticed that to be an increasing theme too. Don't leave it for your kids, burn it all up. It's all selfish, selfish, selfish. It's all me, 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 me. You know... Selfie generation. Uh, and uh, and uh, he said at the optometrist the other day, well, yeah, uh, when you're gone, you're done and dusted. Well, that's annihilation. See, here's what they're saying. When you, when you die, well, that's it. You're just it. Nothing, nothing else happens. Can I answer that by saying, you wish? You wish. Mm. Keep telling yourself that. And when those little voices rise up in the night and start to say, maybe there's more, you just, you just keep telling yourself, no, no, you'll be done and dusted. And you and Satan will, will be in agreement with that. He'll tell you that too. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Eternity is in you. So here is Abraham. He's, he's, he's dead. He's buried. We have record of that. But he's very much alive. All right? And that's what happens. Uh, and, and more. Let me say this. He's able to be recognised. So, so there's, there's very profound perspective here on that actually who you are, you are even beyond your body. And well, what does that mean? Well, you, 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 your ability to feel pain is not limited to you being in your body. So, so actually who you really are is, is not is not, you just live you out in your body. But actually, there's a whole lot of things that transcend the body, including pain. And that might explain how we have this concept of some people dying of a broken heart. Uh, they, what, what, what we say is their psychology just affected their physiology. But actually, I think it's deeper than that. Here is Abraham, recognisable. Okay, here is, here is Moses and Elijah, long gone and yet recognisable as who they are. And, and, the, and the, the rich man who was in hell in the fireside on the other side of the gulf, if you read it, it said he looked afar off and recognised Abraham. So I don't know what that means. Uh, did Abraham just sort of walk near the edge? Was he, was he, but he sees him. 
And, and he not only sees Abraham, he sees that beggar that used to sit in front of his gate that he knew his name, Lazarus. So, so, we, are, so we see here that when you're gone, you're still very much alive. You're conscious. You're cognitive. You're able to see things. You're able to recognise people. You're able to engage in conversations. Well, why aren't they talking to us? Because God has put a barrier there that says, I told you, you come by faith. We're not going to have that. I know if grandma came back and sat down and talked to you, that might be persuasive, though not necessarily salvation, but I'm not going to do that. You will believe what I said by faith, that they're there, that they're alive or they're somewhere else, but you'll believe it uh, or, or you won't. And what I'm saying is we have an insight here in the Word of God that is more accurate than any science journal or textbook. Uh, it, is, it is absolute truth. And we are seeing that somebody who is dead and gone is very much alive, engaged, cognitive, conversational, able to see things, hear things, answer, be aware of things. And that's extraordinary. And that's a little glimpse of what awaits us, all right? Because some people have the notion that, that when we die, uh, sort of, you know, a part of us lives on somewhere. Uh, a, a, you know, a, a, something less than us lives on somewhere. And that's not true. Uh, you wholly you. Uh, look, the, uh, the biggest thing I try to say to people in a gentle way who reach deep points of despair and, and, and contemplate, uh, you know, ending it all, what I try to say is truthfully, please contemplate and understand that ending it all doesn't end anything. And in a microsecond, you realise what you've done and you'll be very much alive and very much full of remorse and likely great terror as what you have done is say to God, you will not decide my days, I will decide my days. I will be God. And I try to explain to people the truth that that, that will not really be a good idea. Now, it's not, it's not surprising, again, that if you take the world's perspective and the whispers of the devil, he's going to say that. Oh, this, you, you'll have your peace. You'll just, you'll just, all your problems will be gone. You'll have release. That's a lie. You'll be very much alive, aware, cognitive, engaged, knowing where you are, and, and certainly if you knew God, profoundly regretful that Christ died for you and you would not live for him. And, and I don't say that, I say that with some sense of understanding of the heavy, dark clouds that can come at some times. But as always, truth is our banner and our protection. And uh, we, need, we need truth. So here is Abraham, alive, conversing, talking. You'll be that way. People who've left us already, they can't come back. Uh, they're, they're elsewhere, but they're engaged, they're talking, they're conversational. Uh, they're they're recognisable and and they can't come back because it falls to us to do our part before we go too. But but don't think that they're they're not there. If if they could come back, they'd be saying, keep going. You know, stay with it. Uh, Preach the gospel. Tell more. Uh, uh, Because, you know, D.L. Moody said, he said, you'll hear, you'll read in the papers one day that D.L. Moody is dead. And he said, when you see that, don't believe a word of it. He said, I'll be more alive then than I ever was before. And uh, that's the truth. So we see that. Then we see, secondly, that Abraham knew that we needed Jesus. Uh, Old Testament Abraham, way, way back then, uh, understood it. He understood it. So so he was in a place of enlightenment, clearly, at this point. And uh, John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What does that mean? Abraham rejoiced. The the idea of his day was he rejoiced the fact that there was that day that God said, okay, this is the day. Send Jesus down to be born of a babe in the womb of a virgin and let's start the work 
of salvation. And Abraham saw it. And he knew it happened. And when it happened, he rejoiced in it. He understood what it meant. What do you mean? Abraham understood at this point the need and the necessity of Christ coming and living a sinless life and dying for our sins and shedding holy blood to appease a holy God and to win us our salvation. And, uh, and he knew that all of that was needful. And so when it finally came to be, and may I say in time and place, it wasn't abstract. He rejoiced to see my day. What day was that? I don't know, but there's a date. There was a date that Jesus was born. There was an actual day and time, and it's not recorded, but he had one. And, and when that happened, there was rejoicing. Remember, there was rejoicing by those in the temple too who took hold of the babe and said, it's happened, the day is here. So Abraham understood. He understood, as all of God's people do, that the absolute need of Christ to come. There's no other way of salvation. If you, if you, if you do not have Christ, you have nothing. You, 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 you condemn. You're in, you're in terrible trouble. Uh, religion cannot save you. It, it, it may teach you something. Uh, it, it, may, it may point you, some of it, to a moral place. But it cannot deliver you from your sins. Your best religious deeds cannot appease the wrath of God over the matter of your sin. You're in terrible trouble. Only the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's no other way. There's no other alternative. I'm sorry. If mother doesn't come that way, she's not coming at all. If, uh, if, if, you, if your mate at the cubicle in work doesn't come that way, he's not coming at all. Uh, if, you, if your neighbours don't come, if your friends don't come, I'm sorry if your child doesn't come. If we don't come to Jesus, there's no other way. And Abraham understood the necessity of Christ's coming to purchase our salvation. You cannot be saved. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot have your sins taken away. You cannot have peace with God and you cannot be with God without Christ. And it's only Christ. And so Abraham saw that and he rejoiced. Ah, today is the day. And then second, we see that Abraham understood that salvation was a time and place event. And what I'm saying is that that Abraham was in paradise and he had been there for years and he had been there for years and I don't doubt he was comforted as was said about Lazarus but he was there in paradise unable to go to heaven waiting and what was he waiting for? He was waiting for what he rejoiced to see. He was waiting for the fact he knew that we can't leave here until it is done. We have to wait and all, all, all leading up to this, all the sacrificial lambs, all the blood spilled at the tabernacle and the temple, all the sacrifices made on altars all over the world to, the, to Jehovah, to the great God, all of it was only pointing to Christ. And there was no power in the blood of bulls or goats to take away the sin of men. And Abraham understood salvation was a time and place event. And he had been waiting in paradise for the time, the specific time that Jesus would leave heaven and come here and to live a sinless life and, and, and make a choice to set his face like a flint and go to Jerusalem and to allow evil men to take hold of him, mock, spit, bruise him and, uh, and uh, put him on a cross where you put the worst of the worst and he submitted himself wholly unto that to save you from your sin and yet some have the, the audacity to say, I don't need that, I'll get there myself. You're joking. You are delusional. If you think that after all that God has done, that somehow that was not necessary and that you were going to make your way there uh, another way uh, or, or buy a new set of beads and chant those and maybe that was going to help you, you are delusional. There is only one way to heaven and it's through Christ, through Jesus alone. Nothing can take away our sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why he came and there was a time and there was a moment. He was born, there was a day and then he lived a certain number of years. And listen, there was a day. It was a time and an event. There was a day that uh, he, he did carry his cross and, and stumble from under it and, and they grabbed one uh, Cyrenian to, to pick up that cross and help. But there, that was a specific day where Jesus went to, to a rocky uh, uh, hill outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And, uh, and I'm sure, uh, 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 you know, I don't think humanity across the world stopped at that moment. They should have. They should have. I don't think humanity, even in Jerusalem, stopped. And, and that's so much what God is doing is missed by the world. And yet there was a moment, it was a time, and it was an event where Jesus went to the cross. And, uh, and he was hanging there, not for his own sin. And, and this wasn't just some, um, some cruel judicial uh, transgression, uh, some, some, some miscarriage of justice. It was none of that. This was the plan and purpose of God to deliver men from their sin to rescue the fallen sons of Adam that they could become the sons of God and inherit a home in heaven. And it was a time and place event. And it had to be that. And what I'm saying is as sure as that was a time and place event and Jesus went to the cross and hung there and died for our sins and and then at, at a given moment of his own choosing, unlike any had ever been before him, he said, now I give up the ghost. Now I will die. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Uh, And at the end of it all, having paid for sin, Jesus, the only Messiah, the only way to heaven, uh, the Saviour, the the one sent of God, the only sinless one, hung on the cross, bearing the weight of our sin, having shed holy blood uh, onto onto the earth that we were called out from, and uh, shed his blood and cried out to God and said, It is finished. And what was finished? Our our salvation was purchased. The price was paid. Men could be cleansed. The wrath of God was appeased that day. And it was a time and place event. And uh, and then Jesus went down and then he descended, uh, came up again and, and, uh, and is in heaven and will come back again. Now I'm saying that Abraham understood that that was the point of rejoicing in his coming. And Abraham was there when, when after uh, Jesus went down and he delivered those captives, those who were uh, held or waiting for that time in paradise, and he said, now the way is clear for you to be able to go to heaven. Amen. Remember he said to Mary, don't touch me, I haven't presented myself to the Father. Don't, don't taint me, I've got, to, I've got to present the finished work. I've paid for sin, I've shed my blood, I've conquered death. I've done all that the Father hath asked me to do. And now I've got to present myself. And he opened up the doors for us. And this morning we are here and paradise is empty. And people don't die and go to paradise anymore. People die and they go to heaven now. And they go to the city of God. And it's a place. And there are things up there that you could touch. And, and uh, gold, it's not, it's not pretend gold that you, ooh, look at that, it looks like gold, but it's, no, it's gold, it's a real place, there's real streets, there's people up there, and they're talking, and they're conversational, and they're, and they're, they're from all over, listen, I've been in some gatherings down here, where you'll have a gathering of multi-cultures, people who assemble maybe for a brief meeting or a few days, and there'll be some people of this, very different cultures, but you get them together. And the unifying bond is that in each of these dwells the presence of the Holy Spirit. And each one, each one in this meeting has been born again. And each one in this meeting, in the preciousness of their prayers, cries, Abba, Father. And here we are all together and the Holy Spirit's in the midst. And I want to tell you, there's something electrifying about that. There's something, there's something moving about that when the Holy Spirit is in the midst of people like God. That's just a little taste. That's just a little lick of what heaven will be like. When people are rejoicing of all people and kindreds and tongues and nations. And they'll all be there. And how different their story was. How different the man who got saved, who lived on the village on the side of the hill uh, that the missionary came to. And he found Jesus and he attended church on the Lord's Day like we did. But he did it in a wooden hut with a thatched roof. 
But nonetheless, from his heart, he praised God. The word of God was open. God was there. They gave their tithes, their offerings. And it's the same of us. But that wonderful eternal gathering awaits us in heaven. And what a day it will be. He knew that salvation was a time and place event. Let me say, if you're saved here today, your salvation has had to be a time and place event. Let, let, let me be clear that you, you would not be uh, the, 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 the cruelest of the deceived who would even sit in church and yet not understand the church cannot give you salvation. Let me be clear. Let me be clear that you are not born into a Christian country and that just makes you know God. Let me be clear that the Bible says that we are born into sin, we are lost. And we, we, Jesus made it clear in John chapter 3, verse 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You, you cannot be saved unless you're born again. As much as your first physical birth was a time and place event, your second birth must also be a time and place event. So have you been saved? Do you, do you know when you got saved? Do you, do you know? I can tell you, I, 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 I don't know the date. I never marked it on a calendar. I wish I had, but I sure know the event. And I can tell you where it happened. I was up in Mount Glorious about 35 minutes from here. And, uh, and uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, I found Jesus that day. And Jesus received me and I was saved. And from the moment I was saved, I became different. And the Spirit of God came into me and I was born again on that Sunday morning when I received Christ. It was a time and place event. Let me ask you this morning, have you been born again? Do you know for certain that you've trusted Christ? If not, you're in great peril. You're as close as a failing heartbeat to plunge into eternal torment. Have you been saved? Do you know that you're saved? It's been a time and a place. Can you say that this was the day I got saved? This was the day I met Christ. You certainly don't want to be just, the, you know, what a, what a wretched scenario that, I, that, I, that you found yourself in church for years and years and yet you were never born again. What a, what a, what a wretched and terrible scenario that you were so close Yet so far, we had a man come to us from Melbourne to knock on someone, met a Thai lady, moved into town and somehow he was Catholic by religious uh, connection or birth or affiliation and he came to us and he married a Thai lady and somehow he found our church, knock on someone Baptist church and uh, it doesn't really matter how he got to us or why he came. Uh, but what matters is that when he got there, he began to hear about salvation clearly. And even though that church wasn't started for people from Melbourne, Australia, to come to someone Thailand to find Christ, we were trying to reach Thai people, but, but Jesus was okay about taking him as well. And, and, I, and I remember it was a time and a place event, and he wept, and he wept. And he was perhaps a little younger than me, and he wept. And he said, I've been so close my whole life. I've been at the very door, but I didn't know how to go in. And that's the best that religion will ever do to you. It'll get you, it'll get you to the door, but, but it'll never get you in. Can't get you in. Jesus is the door. And you've got to come in by him. There has to be a time and a place that so you're certain you're saved. And can you identify? And Abraham understood that. And then let me say, Abraham not only understood that salvation was a time and a place event, Abraham also understood that it was the scriptures that tell men how to be saved. And that's why he said in verse 29 of Luke chapter 16, when, when that one in hell said, please, uh, 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 you know, send someone to, to, to my family. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe that could happen. And, and uh, Abraham said in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Well, his, Moses was dead. Elijah was dead. Well, what he was saying is they have the scriptures. They have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of the prophets. Jesus said, search the scriptures. You'll find me there. 
It's me. And so, so we know from that, it's the word of God uh, that will tell men how to be saved. So, so, so the implications are we need to preach the scriptures. We need to preach the scriptures. Sunday in church is not drama ministry day. Sunday is preaching day. People need the word of God. So, 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 Sunday is not a day where we where we, we put the emphasis on us or our abilities to sing and to perform and to, to dance and to do whatever else we do. Sunday's not a day where, we, where we, we timidly reach out to the world and say, please come and sit with us and we'll try to make you not feel bad. And please, please come and occupy our seats. And, and please, and we'll do, we'll do our best to be just like you if you'll just come. Huh? No, that's not what Sunday... Sunday's for the time where, where you come and the kindest thing you could ever do to someone would be to open your Bible and tell them the truth of God. And little wonder that the devil is redefining church and redefining what it is to even go to church and little wonder that, ki- that parents are hearing uh, whispering voices that say your wayward teenager would feel more at home in a church just like them. And that doesn't help anybody. The scriptures give the way of salvation. The scriptures, these words are eternal and they are life. And people need the word of God. And, uh, and uh, God help us to the sound of that trumpet we sang about. To be faithful and sitting under the word of God. To be preaching the scriptures. To be telling of salvation. To, to be declaring eternal truths that do not change with cultural time. Uh, but to proclaiming the same word of God that Moses would proclaim if he was here, that Elijah would proclaim if he was here, the word of God. It's not morphing or evolving with our times. It's the same truth that always was. It's just getting harder to find in our day. But we have it. And then may I say lastly, Abraham understood that unbelief was a heart problem, not an evidence problem. And here was one who said, uh, in, uh, uh, when Abraham said in verse 29, well, they, Luke 16, they have the prophets, they have Moses, let them hear them. And he understood what that meant. He wasn't thinking that Abraham was thinking that, that uh, he was telling him Moses was somehow back in Jerusalem. He was telling him the word of God. That man got it. He understood. He knew what that meant. He knew. But here's what he said. He said, no, no. Nay, verse number 30. But if one went unto them from the dead they will repent. If someone would go back from the dead, that would clinch it for sure. For sure, people had believed if they saw that. And verse 31, be a lot of people today would say that. Oh, look, if I saw someone come back from the dead, I absolutely believe. And uh, Abraham answered and he said in verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Unbelief is not a problem of evidence. Let's be really clear about that. Unbelief is a heart problem. Unbelief is a problem of those who say, I choose to not believe. Uh, I I look for alternative versions of the truth so I don't have to change. I seek a philosophy of life that will accommodate me living life my way. And it's not a problem of evidence. It's not a problem. No, no, it's a problem of just a choice of the heart. People, people don't believe, no, the evidence is around. What happened when Jesus rose from the dead and the soldiers went back? And they said, uh, well, it was, it was, you know, we were just terrified. Angels came and rolled away the stone and, and he, was, he was risen. And, and uh, what happened? What happened? What happened to those who crucified him? Did they make a sincere mistake? What happened? Well, did, they, did, they, did, they just, did they just make an awful error? And that when they heard the truth, they said, oh, God, help us. It's the truth. He's the Messiah. No, no. They, they, it was never about the evidence. What they said is, we'll pay you to lie about this. And if you get in trouble, we'll use our influence to get you off the hook. And they gave the money. All right, that's, 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 that's nothing to do with evidence. This, it's, Christianity has never failed at an evidence level, ever, ever. The creation bears testimony that this was made. 
this was made. You've got to take a man and you've got to educate him and indoctrinate him away from all of that. Uh, you've, you've, you've got to present the Messiah of science with dodgy findings and, and things that can neither be proved or, or uh, uh, so. And you've got to pump that into him and pump that into him and combine that with a culture of people who'll sit around him and go, mm, 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 mm. And eventually you'll get into the place where he'll just ignore everything that's around him without and within and say, oh, there's no God. No, no, that's a heart problem. That's not a head problem. That's a heart problem. And Abraham, he understood that. He said, no, that won't help. If they won't, if they won't get saved this way, then they won't get saved anyway. And we need to preach the gospel. We need, we need to... We need, to, we need to open our Bibles. We need to let the truth of God permeate us. Uh, we, need to, we need to let the Bible be our psychologist. We, we need to let the Bible tell us who we are. We need to let the Bible explain what's missing in my life and what I need to do. We need to let God help us and, uh, and, and preach it. And let me ask you this morning, let me ask you, have you been born again? Because if you haven't, you can be today. You can be saved today. You, to this day, you can be certain that God has forgiven you and that you will have a home in heaven. And when you leave here, and none of us know when we're going, but when you leave here and you discover I'm dead, but I'm alive, that you'll be taken to heaven. But if you're not born again, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. You can't make it any other way. So, well, maybe I'll get a second chance. There's no second chance. You'll translate into sight and that's it. It's done deal forever. But now the opportunity affords you to come by faith. To come by faith. Is God speaking to you today about getting saved? One of the hardest and most courageous things I ever had to do in my life was to yield to that when God spoke to me, you need to be saved. Well, let's bow for a word of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me talk to you this morning. God bless you if you found your way in church. Let me ask you this morning, do you need to be born again? Would you, would you say today, Pastor Shemish, look, I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I want to be certain of heaven uh, I see it and I need to be saved. Okay, if you're here this morning, younger, older, somewhere in between, uh, religious, not religious, heard it many times, never heard it before, it doesn't matter. If you're here today and you need to be born again, would you raise your hand and look up to me right now? Right, because if you're here today, okay, God bless you, lady in the front. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, God bless you down the back. That's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Anyone else like that? I need to be born again. I need, yes, sir, God bless you. That's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. I guarantee that. Anyone else like that? I need to be born again. I need to be born again. Yes, ma'am, I see it. I see your hand down the front. Anyone else like that? I need to be born again. All right, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and stand together. You, everybody stand, everybody stand. Now, you people who raised your hand, I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to pray along with me, okay? I'm going to pray a prayer. Now, you're not praying to me, but this is how easy this is. Jesus has already done the work. It's already done. This is like a gift that he's going to give you that you're going to receive by faith, all right? That's, this is what's going to happen today. You say, is that how you came? That's how I came. It's not complicated. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer and the only thing that will really matter here today is that you are really sincere in praying this prayer. Okay? And if you really mean this from your heart, God will hear you. And as God hears you today, here's what you're going to say today. You're going to say that on this day, and you'll know the date, I was born again. I was born again. I was born again. And, and God promises that, that those who come to him, he will not turn away. All right, so those people who raise their hand for salvation, uh, others can be just praying quietly. You follow me in this prayer. You pray it from your own heart as I lead you. Are you ready? You pray this prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I want to be forgiven of my sins and born again today. Please forgive me of my sins. Please receive me as your child. I now do follow you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's that simple. Did you pray that prayer? Those, did you pray that prayer? Did you pray that prayer? Sir, did you pray that prayer? Did you pray that prayer? Did you pray that prayer? All right. God bless you. God bless you. The promise of God is that God has heard that today. He's promised. He's promised. He said, it's like I translated you from darkness into light. And you can walk with God now. You can do that. And we want to encourage you. We want you to talk to someone. God bless you. Go and write it down. Today is the day. I was born again this day. You write it down and you start your walk with God. All right, we're going to have a song. And, uh, and those folks will be happy to talk to you or you talk to somebody you came with or come and have a chat to me. I'll be over there. Uh, we want to help you if we can. Go ahead.